It's Wednesday, May 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Welcome back. Why, thank you. It's good to be back. I say welcome back because, not that our listeners would know, but you, you've been away. You won the Fool's Errand. I think we've talked about the Fool's Errand before, but for those who, who are unfamiliar, the Fool's Errand is every month at our all-company meeting, a person's name is drawn at random. It's weighted by seniority, so the longer you've been here at The Motley Fool, the more chances you have to win the Fool's Errand. The more you weigh. The more, the the more you weigh. Here. And you won the Fool's Errand, which is you need to leave for two weeks, have no contact with the company, go have an adventure. And go on a diet, there's some, supposedly. There's yeah. some money involved in, in it as well, so that's yeah. pretty nice. And you went, you went to the UK. We'll talk about that. But we do have some retail earnings. We do have an exciting or terrifying story, depending on your point of view, from the world of pharmaceuticals. Um, and we will dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with uh, a tale of two retailers, and they are two very different tales, Tiffany and Michael Kors. Tiffany, first quarter, better than expected profits. Their guidance for the rest of the fiscal year looked pretty good. Michael Kors, uh, basically the opposite. It was their fourth quarter results. They missed slightly, but it was, as much as anything, their guidance on the current quarter that's um, ha- causing the stock to drop north of 20% today. But let's let's start with Tiffany. Year to date, coming into this, Tiffany's stock, not all that great. Um, so, uh, maybe we filed this under the heading of pleasant surprise. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on where you pick up the story. If you pick up the story starting this morning, it looks like, oh, Tiffany's must have been done something really uh, well here. But if you back up a little bit, uh, Tiffany gave a warning in uh, January, I think it was, and indicating that that sales were going to be down something like 30%, and they came in down around 17%. So, they, they beat the lowered guidance that they gave. But at the time that they uh, you know, initiated their their guidance for the quarter. Uh, the stock dropped a lot then, so it's recovered about half of that uh, from today by only suffering about half the the drop in business that the, that they expected to have had. So that's good compared to what we were expecting them to report today. But you know, and on the whole, it's not not been a great year. And Michael Kors, which could almost do no wrong from the standpoint of both the business and the stock for a couple of years. This is their lowest, or I should say slowest sales growth in more than two years, they just reported. And the stock has really gotten hammered over the last 12 months. Yeah, it's it's been more than cut in half. Uh, this is a, a story of, of slowing growth. Uh, it did actually, it's down, so it's down 23%. Today, the stock is, and the earnings report for the quarter was showed thirteen percent increase in in profits per share. So, you know, where where do you find those two meeting up? And and that is the expectations are no longer being realized for the company. It was growing a lot faster than that. The growth that it is attaining now looks a little bit more dangerous. In terms of to, to raise a name that might have been talked about on this show, and certainly has been talked about elsewhere, Coach, that a, a if not premium but luxury or, or you know um, type brand uh, can only grow so much before it becomes 
too easy and too many people have it and loses cachet. And I think that is the fear uh, that cores will go down the same path as, as coach and just be uh, not as exclusive. Uh, so, you know, you can't grow 40, you know, 20, 30 percent, name, name your figure forever in, in the fashion world as a, as a premium, you know, exclusive kind of thing. I know that retail is a tough industry, but it seems like, to go back to Tiffany, the playbook for Tiffany is there for any future CEO. They have this, to the point you just made, they have this luxury brand, this coveted mm-hmm. item, and as lo- it's basically like whoever is the next CEO and, and subsequent CEOs, it's basically like, just don't screw this up. Just whatever you try and do, resist the urge to try and go down market in the way that Coach did. Just, you know, not that they're the exact same business, but it does seem like Tiffany, as long as they hold on to that North Star, as long as they keep that guiding principle, then they're probably going to do fine. Yeah. Well, I think think so. As As long as people continue to believe that, for instance, they should pay the price that people pay for diamonds. Right. Right. I mean, it's perfectly possible that the next generation will wake up and just say, oh, these things have no intrinsic value at all. They're they're not they're not hard to find. They're not they're not they're not rare. They don't do anything. They're pretty, but it's all just a big, you know, conspiracy as to why we uh, being, uh, you know, one one time fiancés go out and spend a, a huge amount of money on a diamond. Uh, not that you and I were fiancés, but we were fiancés of other people. Of other people, right. Women in both of our cases. So, you know. You're saying if the millennials get together at a huge confab and just decide, look, we're going to agree on a few things, and number one on the list is this this diamond thing. That's, yeah, this, it, that's you, for the birds. You know what we're going to do is instead of that, we're, we're going to go on like a, an awesome vacation for our <laughs> – that's how we're going to get engaged, right? I mean, people could decide that. People do decide that on occasion, and and you say, oh, that that I can understand that choice, right? Instead of the thousand dollars for a diamond ring, which uh, may or may not last forever, you go and spend it on something which will only last for a week. You don't need the diamond ring to get married. You need the license, but you don't no. need the diamond. But so that that's part of too. I mean, Tiffany doesn't just sell diamond jewelry, but they they've. Uh, They've got watches. Uh, they've reintroduced watches, which is a, a part of uh, the success of the last quarter. They were uh, in a little bit of trouble, as many people are, uh, from the strong dollar. The dollar turned around a little bit between the time that they made their warning and you know the results uh, showed up for the quarter. So that wasn't as bad. But the dollar, strong dollar, hurts them a lot. You've got uh, people coming to the U.S. going to Tiffany to shop. When the dollar is strong, you know their their currencies uh, are not going to buy as much at Tiffany's, uh, and also the profits that Tiffany makes selling abroad uh, are not worth as much um, when they get translated back into dollars. So they they are really they get a lot of their sales uh, from both foreign stores and foreign customers here traveling here. Shares of pharmaceutical company Novartis up a little bit today on the news that it is partnering with Rani. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, R-A-N-I, Rani Therapeutics, which is a small startup company here in the U.S. And what are they working on, you might ask? What are they partnering on? They are reportedly working on a, and this is in quotes, a robotic pill that is swallowed 
but has tiny needles to deliver drugs into intestinal walls. The Matrix, in other words. It's, <laughs> it does sound like The Matrix. That's my first thought. It also sounds like, I don't know what this pill does, and I don't know what uh, illness you need to be facing to take it, but I think if, if it's me, I'm just speaking for me, this needs to be a last option. This needs to be like, look, we've exhausted all the other options. Here's your best chance. You've got to take this pill that releases a robot inside your intestines. Well, yeah, that's said like an old man who just not seeing the future. That, that's what I am. <laughs> but I, I think that one of the target markets for this is something as uh, prevalent, uh, you know, as as insulin, which is currently you know in, injected uh, in in most cases, uh, many cases. Although there is an inhalable insulin out there, um, and. So if you can in, inject this through a pill, which is is going to put these little tiny needles in, I, I don't understand how. And presumably, it works. I mean, you're not going to feel it in the same way that you would if someone's plunging a needle into your arm. If so, I don't think you're taking the pill, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're feeling that pain inside of you from a pill, then I know it's going to be hard to market that. I think. Yeah, that would others be- may disagree. I don't know. Maybe there's a market for that in, among the those that enjoy frightening pain inside of themselves. I don't think so, though. I, I think yes. Presumably, you, it's it's a more pleasant experience. Whether it's Novartis, because Novartis is a massive company, two hundred fifty billion dollars in market cap. Are, does the pharmaceutical industry interest you as an investor? Because broadly speaking. It seems like while you can make money as an investor in sort of large pharmaceuticals, Novartis is a stock that's outperformed the market over the last one, two, five years, pick your time period. But it really does seem like the the golden era for the big pharmaceutical companies is is largely over or certainly diminished. It's It's not quite what it was in, say, the 90s when the business plan was clear. You invest a, a lot of money in one type of drug. You get a hit drug, and then you've got the patent on that for a decade, and it's just a cash machine. Well, uh, if if this isn't the golden era, it may be the silver or bronze era. I mean, the big pharma companies have uh, improved their their performance quite a bit in the last few years. And you know, Novartis, the stock has has doubled in the last four years. Uh, you got some dividend and on top of that. Look, it, you're talking about a population which is growing, global population. A lot more people are, are getting better and better access globally to healthcare, and people are living longer, and they're living uh, to ages where they acquire more and more, you know, diseases. Uh, so, you know, if people are living more frequently into their 80s, into their 90s, and their 100s, they say, whoever they is, that the person has been born, you know, today who will first live to 150 years old. I don't know who who said that. Some some guy that I was at a party with said that. He seemed to be quoting something. No, the, I think that was the, the cover of Time Magazine within the last did few the months. Grand, was did the Grand Council come out and make this prediction? <laughs> no, no, that was. I'm pretty sure that was a cover story in Time. That it was. It was like a picture of a baby, and it was sort of like this baby's going to live to 146. It yeah. was like it was a very specific number. But you it was, know what isn't Time Magazine? 
Sorry, that was unnecessary. Maybe wasn't not it? the printed magazine, <laughs> but you never know. The, the concept of time will still be around. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so, look, if people are going to live to 150, they are going to beat a lot of diseases on their way to hitting that. I, I don't, I, and and so. The, the drug companies have, have got, uh, I think, a growing uh, user base all the time. Once again, it is, it is the situation where I wish I was in the room when whoever it was at Ranny Therapeutics was pitching the idea to colleagues of the tiny robot pill. It's like, no, 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 there's, there's going to be little robotic needles that pop out of the pill once it's inside the I person. I was watching The Matrix. Right. <laughs> Great uh, idea. Great, great <laughs> idea. Uh, radio at fool.com is our email address. I uh, got a great email from Jeff Huxley, listener number two in Brazil. Uh, in reference to something that I said last week when we were talking about lumber liquidators, and I was raising the possibility, or at least the option, that part of a turnaround story for lumber liquidators would possibly include a rebranding of the company. And in making that point, I invoked the example of Arthur Anderson rebranding as Accenture in the wake of the Enron scandal. And Jeff Huxley, uh, and I'll I'll read his email, uh, very uh, politely and methodically points out how 100% wrong I was in my assertion. Uh, Jeff writes, love the show, longtime listener, recent member of your stock advisor service. You guys are awesome. You keep me informed and amused when walking to work or walking the dogs. So it pains me the first time I write to you is to correct a complete swing and a miss on Accenture. I joined Accenture in 1988 when it was then known as Arthur Anderson Management Consulting. Around 1990, it became a separate entity and was renamed Anderson Consulting. In January 2001, the firm rebranded itself as Accenture. The Enron scandal uh, scandal you described as the genesis for the rebranding occurred in October 2001, nine months after Accenture announced the name change. It was the accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, that was indicted in the scandal that ensued and was ultimately forced out of business. Accenture was, uh, Accenture was never indicted, suspected, or otherwise implicated in any wrongdoing. So Accenture did not change its name to refurbish the brand after being tainted by Enron. It was the sister organization, the accounting shop, that was tainted and ultimately failed. As an aside, Accenture changed its name after a formal split from Arthur Anderson over disagreement around governments, uh, governance and revenue sharing. In hindsight, it was amazingly lucky because it shielded the consulting organization since it no longer shared the Anderson name and was no longer legally a part of Arthur Anderson. It shielded them from the scandal. Uh, so thank you to Jeff, and thanks also to uh, Jason, uh, Jason Schultz, uh, listener in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, who uh, pinged me on Twitter, uh, making a similar point. Um, as I said, you just got back from the UK. I know you weren't working because you weren't allowed to work. That is part of the the deal with the fool's errand. It's two weeks of non-work. You get fired for working (laughs) while you're on the fool's errand. You're not allowed any contact with the company. Uh, But I have to believe that the business part of your brain, the analyst part of your brain, didn't just shut down for two weeks. So, why, why would you have to believe that? Uh, you know, maybe I'm as wrong about that <laughs> as I was about the, about the Enron Accenture thing. But, uh, 
But uh, did anything in your in your travels um, strike you as an investor? Well, I'll, I'll mention that I've been over to England to uh, visit some of the holdings in uh, that we have in, in the Motley Fool funds or, over the last couple of summers. And one company that I met with a couple of times is uh, De La Rue, which uh, we no longer own um, in any of the funds. <clears throat> and it's a, one of the major makers of, of printed money prints money uh, for various governments, including England, but but a lot of other ones, too. Wait a minute. The government itself doesn't make the money? No. No. Here in the U.S., our government makes the money. In in other places, typically, it, it's made by a private company, and there's enormous security around this, and, you know, only the... You've got to have X, you know, number of decades of experience of doing, doing this and, you know, be shown to have been... Uh, uh, abiding by the rules for uh, many years before you're even considered, so it's it's very hard for anybody to break into, because to, even to bid on on a contract as they come up, uh, basically you have to show that you've been doing it for a long time, and so it's it's one of these chicken and egg things where nobody can really break into the business. And Delarue has been one of the major players. Met with a very nice guy over there uh, a couple of times, uh, but I was realized that I was there. Uh, and on my last day there, that was the first time that I got got any money out, any cash. So I had been traveling for you know eight nine days uh, before needing any cash for any reason, and and that to me, spell uh, De La Rue's had a number of trip ups itself. Um, but one of the things bringing it uh, lower is just the ongoing. Uh, lack of, of cash that we use, you know, and then the Apple Watch is going to be maybe part of, of that story as well. But I don't know. Do you spend much cash? Not that often. No, I'm I'm much more likely to swipe a card or or, or that sort of thing. And I'm I'm slowly because I'm I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not an early adopter when it comes to technology. So I'm slowly but surely starting to add apps to my phone that are. Uh, where I'll take the time to put in my financial information and say, oh, I'll just hold up my phone and that's how I'll pay for you know, my food or something like that. But I'm, I'm curious if you think here in the U.S. any significant change is coming to our money. And that could be we actually do decide we're going to discontinue the penny or something like that or, or anything. Yeah, you know, things in, in terms of our money, our money changes really slowly uh, because it does go through the government and and so that's why things move particularly slowly in this country at times but in looking at so the guy the C, CFO for De La Rue who I met with a couple of times he, you know asked to see a, a bill you know from from my wallet and I showed and he would just look at the US money and and you know in a polite British way basically mock it <laughs> it's like this is this is so far behind you know the standards from, the a world, from a technology or, standpoint or from a standpoint, creativity standpoint from the ease of of counterfeiting it that that it and you know we keep seeing these new things show up but we are not setting the pace and and so the US dollar is uh, the joke in the money making community <laughs> is that that there are more you know dollars you know printed outside of the country than inside the country uh, that that this is this is the go-to currency for counterfeit. Of course, it's the go-to 
you know currency out, uh, abroad you know the dollar plays so yeah we've we've made some improvements he also did that with my with my passport looked at the passport and polite british way kind of mocked the lack of security that that was attached to to the US passport which again is like we think of as, as this amazingly valuable thing out there in the black market uh, but is apparently easier to forge than should be the case if if you know you're counterfeiting not not that we're suggesting not that i do you know <laughs> I, I just went about my american way like i guess that's somebody's problem someday you know i'll just keep you know i assume that the dollars that show up in my wallet aren't counterfeit but last so last time i was i was in england um which was uh, last summer i i did uh, have my one of the the British uh, pound ten pound note five pound note whatever it was I sent my kid who, who was with me into a store to get some candy and he came back and I said they wouldn't take the money and and the the bill had been looked at scanned you know by one of their their things that they have at counters there and I said no we, we won't take it so it didn't have I I guess it was counterfeit. Or, or didn't pass whatever you know their their detection is. You you didn't knowingly send your child with counterfeit money I'm to not, a store, did you? I don't have to answer. <laughs> no, I went back to the other store where I had been given this five pound note as change. I said, look, you know, you got to take this back because it's not it's not working at the store across the street. At reputable so they, stores like the one across <laughs> the street. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.